Hey everyone, welcome to the OS Training Podcast. My name is Steve Burge, and in this week's episode, I'm talking with Andrew Embler. Andrew is the founder and CTO of Concrete 5. If you haven't heard of Concrete 5, it's a open source CMS, very similar to WordPress, to Drupal, to Joomla, and it's introduced some major innovations, which the other platforms haven't got to yet, such as really slick inline editing. In this episode, I talk with Andrew about his story, about the story of Concrete 5, and about how he keeps his enthusiasm after nearly a decade and a half of running the project. And towards the end, we have a really interesting conversation where he tells me about the recent years when they had to almost blow up Concrete 5 and start again from scratch, and the pros and cons of doing that, and how it's given him a second wind in his developer life. Hey, Andrew, welcome. Hi. So, Andrew, you're out on the west coast of the U.S. You're in Portland, is that right? That is correct. Sunny Portland, Oregon. <laughs> it's a rare thing. Just got the wrong season, the opposite season from us. Uh, the <laughs> rainy season has just hit him in Florida. And after about six months of sunshine, we're now about to get three months of rain. Oh, wow. Portland's finally starting to get nice. Yeah, yeah. I, we were out of town over the weekend, but apparently it got close to 100 degrees yesterday, which is pretty hot for May. So I think uh, we're... It'll be an interesting couple of months. We are known for our rain, and it's definitely rains like about eight months out of the year, a constant sort of gray drizzle like Seattle or something, someplace similar. But right now, yeah, we're getting into the nice parts. Oh, yeah. I'm English originally, and every time I've been to Poland, it's just felt like home. <laughs> that's, I have heard that, uh, that the English like to, that's a, that it's a pastime sort of, uh, talking about the weather and its, uh, grayness. <laughs> are you Oregon born and bred? I am actually. I um born in Portland and uh you know took a took a sojourn here and there for uh for school and and stuff. But uh yeah, came back cuz I do love it. So you were in Portland before it was cool. I was. I I don't want to say that I helped usher in the coolness cuz that would be a lie, but uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, we definitely I grew up in Portland before it was cool and it was interesting to see the the sort of change. It was always this kind of hip little city, even in the late 90s. But, you know, in the early 2000s to mid 2000s, it started getting this real reputation as the, you know, the the, the cool place to be. And then, of course, the TV show and, and all that stuff. Yeah, we've got a guy who works out there, one of our developers. Uh-huh. And he lives maybe a mile or so from downtown Portland. He, he bought a house there a couple of years ago. And he oh, cool. told me, Steve, don't take this the wrong way, but in the last two years, I've made more money from my house going up than I have from working for you. He's like, this place is ridiculous. It's like living in San Jose or something that the house prices go up uh, yeah, it's, $150,000 it's a year. Yeah, it, that's that's crazy. It's a pastime. You can definitely uh, you can check your house on Zillow.com or, or something along those lines. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Is it going to continue? I, you know, I'm not sure. I think that, you know, I love Portland and so I'll still be here when it's not cool anymore. But I think that it got its cool reputation as it was sort of transitioning a bit as a city. And it's just kind of, it's growing up at this point. So I think, you know, as that happens, you're going to see sort of just become another, you know, mid-sized city rather than this kind of, you know, bohemian capital. Because, you know, the cool places are, are moving out of, of downtown Portland, or they were never in downtown, but they're moving out of like the inner parts of Portland because it's just too expensive there. So now, you know what you've got your actual artistic spaces and kind of more interesting spots are, you know, well outside of what used to be thought of as the, the cool parts of Portland. 
You love it so much that Portland is actually then your company name? That is correct. Yeah, a few years ago. So when we started, we were our official company name was actually Concrete 5, which is the name of the CMS. But a few years ago, we decided we, we didn't want to necessarily have the company name be tied to our sort of flagship product because that was a little confusing to people. They didn't know when we were talking about Concrete 5, whether we were talking about the software or the company or, or what have you. So we decided to incorporate under a separate name and put Concrete 5 underneath it. And we chose the name Portland Labs because we, uh, we, liked, the, we liked where we were so much that we thought it should be in our name. Okay, so that leads to the obvious question. If Portland Labs is very logically named, what does Concrete 5 mean? <laughs> that, you know, there is a logic to it, although it's definitely not a logic on its face. Yeah, so in 2003, we're going to start, you know, back at the beginning, we were a full-service web and creative agency under a completely different name. One of our biggest clients at the time uh, was Lewis and Clark Bicentennial, and uh, it had a very fixed timeline and, uh, and a lot of, yeah. I, I guess for people that, Maybe from outside the States, Lewis and Clark are the people that walked all the way from like Washington, D.C. To, yeah, uh, to Oregon. Yeah, that's right. They were sent out west to discover all these parts of uh, a huge landmass that everyone was on and didn't know, didn't know what was there. So they, they, yeah, they made their way out west and they finally got all the way out to like Fort Clatsop in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I believe is the is the name of the fort, if I can recall correctly. And so this was the early 1800s, and yes, the 200th anniversary rolled around for for you guys to take part in. Yes, that is correct. I believe, if I recall correctly, it was 1804. And the only reason I know that is because this website is was a bicentennial site, and it, it finally went live in 2004. Yeah. So obviously, as a bicentennial website, uh, we had a very fixed timeline and a lot of people involved. And we knew we couldn't, we were building websites for people, and we knew that we couldn't have people, you know, we, we couldn't just go into a back room somewhere and work on this website and come out emerged with it fully formed. There were too many people involved, and they, were, they wanted too many things, and the timeline was too quick. So we knew that we needed to constantly edit the site and give people the ability to edit the site and pivot quickly on the ideas that worked. So we tried other content management systems like Drupal and Mambo at the time, and we didn't like how they forced users to understand the concept of a backend before they could edit their site. So we decided to create a new content management system, and uh, we named that system, this is a very long long-winded answer, and I apologize, but we named that content management system Concrete because we liked the way that we envisioned it as a sort of a building material for the web. Uh, we liked the idea that it was strong but also flexible, and it kind of had that tactile quality to the name. And so that's the first part of Concrete 5. We called our uh, CMS Concrete CMS internally. And then uh, over the years, from 2003 to 2008, we released a couple different internal versions of the CMS. It was not open sourced yet at this time. We just kind of used it on our own web projects, trying to uh, you know just give uh, clients a nice way to uh, maintain and hand off really nice websites. And then in 2008, we were getting to the point where we were having the fifth sort of internal version of Concrete CMS. And so at that point, we arrive at the name Concrete 5. So yeah, at, in 2008, we, you know, along with the rest of, of the economy, we hit a bit of a rough patch when a fair number of our big clients, which were online communities at the time, they were venture-backed 
companies and they were not getting their second rounds of funds. And so as we saw a bunch of our clients, you know, go away and their companies go away, we knew that we had to do something drastic and dramatic to kind of, you know, see what we were doing was changing and we needed to do something else. With that in mind, we took our fifth major version of Concrete CMS and we decided to open source it. And we did so under the name Concrete 5 because it was, in fact, the fifth major version. And that is a very long-winded response to uh, to your question. <laughs> <laughs> I know how that is. I started OS training about 10 years ago, and I originally thought the name would be a fairly quick one-off. Maybe we'd use it for a year or so. I didn't think probably as carefully about it as I should have done. Ten years later, the name is still in use and people confuse <laughs> OS for operating system, for all sorts of other things. Oh, um, that's funny. Yeah. I know, naming yeah. is naming is, is tough. And it's funny, the ones that, you know, they, they whether they stick or not, like, obviously, you, obviously you did something right because <laughs> you're still around 10 years later. So that's kind of what we think of even when we when we think about Concrete 5 because it definitely has, it confuses people. They're like, well, is the 5 a version? Is it is it in the name? It's like, well, it's both kind of, but yeah, it's uh, naming is, a, is unique every single time you try and do it. Looking at the version history, you wrote that version 5 for years, right? Concrete 5 was version 5.1, 5.2, 5.3. For a good number of years, all you ever had was version 5 of Concrete 5, right? Yeah, that is correct. And, you know, that was sort of a branding thing. We were kind of looking at, you know, Mac OS as inspiration in that regard. Like, they have OS OS 10 or OS X, and they've, they've had that for, you know, 15 or 16, like 17 years at this point. And so their version numbers always started with a 10. And even though they were doing major, you know, upgrades every single year, it was always 10.1, 10.2, et cetera. And so I, I'm certain that, you know, that was in our minds when we started the five. We didn't want to confuse people by saying it was Concrete 5 version 3. Like, well, wait, I thought it was Concrete 5. So we started with putting the 5 as the first number in our version number. So 5.0, 5.1, etc. But you mentioned a, a very important point. Like, that was confusing in and of itself because we'd have these major updates between, like, 5.4 and 5.5. And people would look at that and say, like, is this really that major an update? You know, it's just a, a point release. So, you know... It, it's definitely it was a double-edged sword uh, choosing that scheme for years. Oh, well, this stuff is hard. <laughs> Numbering is hard. Um, it is. I, I'm looking at WordPress at the moment who have got themselves in an enormous tangle. They have the new version, the new editor, Gutenberg, coming out. And they said, this is absolutely going to come in version 5.0. The only problem was they suddenly ended up freezing most of their features. And now they have to release these big new features like the big privacy update for uh -huh. the oh, GDPR. Uh, we, are the GDPR. In, we are in that bind as well, yeah. <laughs> and now they have to sneak in a really major update into a minor version number. Oh, no. And they've never really cared too much about semantic versioning anyway, but they have a version number that had kind of work. Projects have gone the semantic route, and even that's no panacea. I did some... Yeah, and we definitely, we try to follow semantic versioning, but it's also tough, yeah, when, you know, certain things come... And you have to get them out in a fixed timeline, like the privacy updates are a perfect example. And, you know, if your development cycle is, if your next major release is like in pieces, you know, you, you can't rush that. So you, you're forced to kind of like, you know, issue some kind of either the update, 
you know, only contains a couple minor things, including either the like these bug fixes or privacy updates, but it has a major version number and people are he- scratching their heads about that. Or you go the opposite route where you've got a whole bunch of big changes, you know, shoved into a release that people, you know, are thinking is a minor one. Did you ever think about taking financing, taking venture capital the way that Acquia, Automatic, Magento and some others have done? You know, we we have, we dabbled with that for a bit. You know, I think it was nice in retrospect that we did not, that we did not. But we we definitely haven't, uh, we, we never did. We are pleased with that decision. You know, I've heard some stories of, of some, you know, apps or software that has taken financing and then have paid it back so that they can get their company back. We didn't have to do anything like that, which is kind of nice. You know, financing is great because it lets you scale a company quickly. And that is something that that we'd like to do. But we've been fortunate enough to be able to scale our operations without having to uh, just entirely through our own uh, project based funding. So I guess a lot of these projects nowadays have a company behind them and then they have the main project open source on GitHub. Yeah. Is that how you guys are set up with Portland Labs as the company which does development work or hosting perhaps to generate the revenue? And then there's an open source community which partly benefits from the money and the work that Portland Labs does? Yeah, that's definitely a a pretty accurate description of how we're set up. We've always, in terms of the project itself, we're definitely very hands-on with the project still. I imagine in the future you might see us be a bit more of a, you know, a bit more removed perhaps and have, you know, Concrete 5 governed by a a board or, you know, a core team that isn't directly, you know, just Portland Labs employees, like something like Joomla. But we're right now, we're not really there yet. So we we're really still hands on we you know, the core team is on of Concrete 5 uh, is, you know, comprised of Concrete 5 uh, uh, or Portland Labs employees. But uh, yeah, you know, definitely the way that it's set up, Portland Labs does, uh, we do development services, we do Concrete 5 support and hosting and um, marketplace sales and maintenance. And that's, you know, comprises our, that's our revenue. And then with that, we put our improvements back into the core, whether that may be, you know, just working on things that we think the core needs that we just choose to put on the roadmap and do. Or, you know, sometimes it might be things that clients of Portland Labs you know, they want something in the core and we agree that it's a good fit for them. And so we we do that development for them. And they know that when they do that, those changes are also going to make it out for the uh, broader open source community. OK, so you run an app store where people can sell their extensions for Concrete 5, their themes? Yeah, we do. On Concrete5.org, there is a marketplace. And it's interesting. We we were pretty early to this game. I believe we officially launched it in 2010. And with the idea being that Concrete 5, the open source software product, should have everything you need to run a website. And so we've always, like the core is very full featured. If we think that there's something, an infrastructure, uh, whether it's permissions or users or conversations or even calendaring, functionality in the most recent update that you know 70% of the sites built with our platform can benefit from we will try and fold it into the core so we definitely take a different approach than some of the more modular CMSs and you know frameworks where you know you've got yourself a, a strong foundation but you don't have you need add-ons to really do a lot of stuff to it we sort of fold a lot of stuff into the core but for those things that we don't like uh custom themes is a big one as you mentioned and then uh you know certain add-ons there is the concrete5.org marketplace uh yeah it was launched in 2010 
And the way that we set it up was kind of like the App Store, where we've got a number of uh, add-ons that we have written, although there are fewer over time as we've let the community do more of that, or we've just <laughs> moved that functionality into the core. And then there's add-ons, the bulk of that, which are written by community members. And we've got it set up so that when you make a sale of your add-on through concrete5.org, we take a percentage of that and the developer takes most of it. And then in return, the developer offers support through concrete5.org. And we, we do our best to manage licenses for, um, you know, allowing uh, site owners to, when you buy an add-on, you can connect your site to the community and just download the add-on right through Concrete5 and uh, get updates right through Concrete5 as well. And, huh. uh, and yeah, and that's worked really well for us. Okay, it's an interesting combination of other models I've seen. So WordPress, Drupal, everything is completely free. Magento, similar, it hosts a directory. It adds some commercial products similar to Joomla. You're actually more like a the iOS app store or Google Play. You are handling the license keys, you're handling the money, you're probably verifying the developers in some way. Yeah, yeah that that's... sounds kind of beneficial. I know if I'm dealing with... Um, WordPress plugins, I often have a site which needs 15 different license keys from 15 <laughs> different providers, 15 different logins. It's a massive headache. Yeah, that's interesting. I would be remiss if I didn't actually expand on that. So thank you for reminding me. One of the things that we do think, one of the value propositions that we, I think we do a pretty good job at is uh, we have what we call the PRB on Concrete5.org, which is the peer review board. And what that is a fancy way of saying this is a group of verified Concrete 5 community members and developers who verify new submissions to the marketplace. So when an add-on comes in to be sold in the marketplace, it runs through a suite of automated tests to make sure it's not doing something too nefarious. But then it also has real people looking at it and suggesting ways that it can be improved and cleaned up if it doesn't quite you know, match with some of our standards. And then at the end of that process, the add-on makes it into the marketplace and you can buy it. So that is, you know, one of the things that we thought really set up apart in 2010 when we launched this. I did a bit of work with WordPress and Drupal years and years ago, and I was always really impressed by Drupal's modules because there were a lot of them and it was just impressive the sort of breadth of them and the depth. But, you know, you were going to get a wide variety of you know, code quality in that realm at the time. And, you know, it was always a little bit more of a wild west and you weren't always sure that things would work together perfectly and that, you know, installing one module wouldn't perhaps alter the behavior of another in strange ways. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to perhaps, you know, we thought it was okay to sacrifice some of the flexibility if you were in turn going to get a bit more of a safe experience where you knew that if you installed something from the Concrete5.org marketplace, whether it was free or whether you paid for it, you would not break your site. That was our number one goal. There'd be no way you could break your site by installing something from us. And then if you did buy a commercial add-on, you could also get support in a timely fashion from the actual developer of the add-on. All through, like you mentioned, all through Concrete5.org. Ah, so you're considerably more centralized in the way you handle the add-ons. Yes, we are super centralized. So we it, everything is hosted at concrete5.org. You can download the add-ons from there. Although we knew that we weren't going to mess around with something like a PHP code obfuscator cuz we didn't or anything like that. We we knew that, you know, if you if you were going to do something where you were going to try and get around our licensing, like we we weren't going to, you know, inconvenience the vast majority of people who are trying to do things right just to try and 
clamp down on like 1% of people who were, you know, trying to get something that they didn't pay for or, or something. So we do make it so that you can actually download the files and you can actually just get the code once you pay for it. But what we think works better is you can actually, through your Concrete 5 site, you can do what we call connect to the community, where you create a project page for your site that's private on concrete5.org and you assign your licenses to that page. And once you do that, you can just download your add-ons and all their updates right from your Concrete 5 site without having to, you know, FTP directories around and install modules or uh, packages that way. So we try and make the convenience of doing things the right way, you know, outweigh any benefit you might get from, you know, downloading something and reusing it across, you know, many, many sites. So do you have a... Some restrictions on the interfaces, and is it fair to say that if you install a whole variety of Concrete 5 extensions, you're going to get a, a fairly standard user interface? I know use most platforms where developers are free to do what they want. They, yeah. They oh. do what they want, and they have these crazy these crazy interfaces which look nothing like it's, the main product. That's funny. So for all of our interfaces in Concrete 5, we are using a slightly customized namespaced version of uh, Twitter's Bootstrap user uh, UI framework. So, uh, you know, if you build your forms and, and things like that for your add-ons and your themes, with that uh, markup in mind, it's going to look really nice in Concrete 5, and you're not going to have to learn our own, you know, custom form markup that you can't use anywhere else. So what we've done is we, we've kind of, by embracing that and having that be sort of the, this just default approach in the, our dashboard, our, our backend and our, our front-end user components, you kind of get stuff that looks pretty good if people sort of follow these basic conventions that they're probably already somewhat familiar with from their day-to-day -day web work. And by doing that, and by having this PRB at the outset, if someone uploads something that looks crazy and, you know, uses their own markup and doesn't look like anything else in Concrete 5, you know, we're probably not going to not approve that add-on based on that, as long as it works, you know. But you're definitely going to get people in there, you know, questioning those decisions, saying, well, you know, it would this add-on would fit in a lot better with other add-ons in Concrete 5 if you just adopted you know, these sort of across the board conventions. And so over time, I think what that's done is it's created a marketplace where most of the add-ons do look, you know, like they fit in with each other. And so developers are more likely to just kind of accept that approach without us even having to crack down on the, on the ones that look different. So you're using Bootstrap 3 in the core? Yes, currently in the core. We have a version of Bootstrap 3 that applies itself only if you have this sort of outer Concrete 5 div with an outer class of that's specific to Concrete 5. So it makes it so that themes, they can use whatever UI framework they want, or they can use none, or they can you know, use completely custom CSS and HTML. And all the Concrete 5 components, even if they display on the same page, will display properly with Bootstrap without having each theme doesn't have to use Bootstrap. We use Bootstrap because we like it, but themes are free to use whatever front-end approach they want, which is best for each theme. All of our back-end and all of our Concrete 5 components do use uh, Bootstrap 3. So are there any other standard elements that a developer might come across if they use Concrete 5? You see React in a lot of things these days, uh, Symfony, Laravel. What direction has Concrete 5 taken? Yeah, so a number of years ago, we, we mostly were writing our own stuff. But, you know, as PHP has grown up with stuff like 
composer, we've definitely started using more components from other libraries rather than writing our own stuff. So definitely on the JavaScript land, we haven't embraced anything quite as big as React or Angular yet, just because we're kind of trying to figure out how we can integrate those technologies with the way our in-context editing works. Concrete 5 kind of drapes itself across the front end components when you're in edit mode, which makes it so that, you know, our big differentiating feature is the ability to edit content right from the page that it's on. But when you've got these kind of app-like JavaScript layers like React, we're, we're trying to figure out how best to integrate with that stuff. And it's still an ongoing process. We've been standardized on jQuery for years and still really like it. A bootstrap, as I mentioned. And then in the back end, we're big fans of Symphony components. Uh, we have some Laravel components in the core as well. And then just a, a whole bunch of other smaller libraries that, you know, work really well for stuff that they do. So components from PHP League, I believe Guzzle, the HTTP web services library is integrated in our latest development branches for our next major version. And then for years, we also use some components from the Zend framework, which have been really helpful as well. Well, you know what? I, um, it was the first thing I noticed when I fired up a demo of Concrete 5 earlier today. It was the front end interface felt like where Drupal is going with Drupal 8 and some of the new page builder elements, it felt a little bit like a WordPress page builder. You can literally click on anything on the site and you'll get a little in-place contextual editor. You click on an image, there's a little little image replacer feature. You can think of the whole thing in terms of blocks, which is the way WordPress and Gutenberg or, or Drupal or lots of these other page builders are going. But you're saying that Concrete 5 got there like 14 years ago? <laughs> well, actually, yeah, we probably, you know, at 2004, yeah, about 14 years ago. It definitely uh, didn't look quite as nice as it looks now. I don't think we had the nice CSS transitions. But uh, yeah, we, you know, as I mentioned with that, talking about that early bicentennial site with all of those stakeholders, we didn't have enough time to build that site without really just kind of getting content on the page as quickly as possible and giving people access to it and say, look, we've started these pages for you. You build them out, you edit them and don't, and just, you know, ask us if you have questions, but uh, go for it. And uh, in order to do that, we knew that we couldn't, we didn't want to teach people our new custom admin backend interface. We wanted them to just be able to see the pages as they were going to look on a finished website and change the content right from those pages. So we started with in-context editing right at the beginning. Click on content, edit it right from a, a modal window above your content. And it's basically, you know, it's gotten flashier over the years and we've added features to it and sort of changed some of the interaction models. But the, uh, the core promise is really the same as it was back then, where, you know, you can edit content. And if it's, you know, rich text, you might be editing it right within the page. If it's something that's, you know, got more data behind the scenes, like a calendar event or a form is a good example, you're going to be clicking on that thing right from within the page, and you'll get a modal window over it, over the content as well, or instead of editing it in the page. And you'll be able to do, you know, edit your form questions, change settings, all that kind of stuff, right without having to leave the page. And when you're done, you just kind of, you, you just can save your changes right from that page in the browser and approve them and get on with your day. 
Yeah, I was really impressed with how well it worked. This morning I was fighting with the WordPress page builder and it, it built the page, but it forgot to build the head of the footer, the sidebars and everything oh, else. No. It, it must have taken me an hour and a half to figure out how to edit the footer, which wasn't actually part of the page builder. Um, <laughs> I spun up the Concrete 5 demo and literally everything was clickable. Everything was editable literally just by clicking on it. That's great. Yeah, that you know, that's definitely something that's always been... That's something that we, we keep in mind even as we add lots of new features. As I said, we, we add tons of features to the core all the time. And so things get, you know, things are, it's a complex beast and there's a lot of functionality in there now. And so sometimes I think it helps to take a step back and, you know, reorient yourself and look at your software and say, what is the core thing that I think we do well and that I want us to continue doing well? And it really is that ease of use, uh, perhaps ease of first first contact. You, you know, there's a lot of functionality in there and it, things can be extended in a, a ton of different ways. But as long as it's easy to pick up and then the complexity reveals itself over time, I think we're doing a good job. So how do you feel about things after, well, 14 years of leading the project? That's, well, for quite a few people either work with us, that's half a lifetime. I know. Um, I mean, I, he, it, is, it is less than half of my lifetime at this okay. point as I, get, as I get creeping up into my old age. But uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm still really excited about it. It's true. You have to work at keeping things fresh. So there were a number of years where we kind of, we didn't stagnate, but we, we were getting to be pretty, uh, we got to a place where our feature set was pretty set and it worked really well, but we kind of hit a wall where our architectural decisions that we made, you know, early on because it was the, it was what PHP had available could not scale as well to keep Concrete Five's, you know, its actual code relevant into, you know, a new world of PHP post five three, you know, PHP up to PHP seven seven one seven two, and so we got to a point where we couldn't advance the system very easily because we were sort of shackled to a lot of backward compatibility, and during that time, it got harder to be as excited about it because you you've got the software but you can't take it where you want it to go because you kind of are you're beholden to decisions that you had to make, you know, a decade ago. And so in 2014 we had to kind of make some painful decisions about when to release a version of Concrete 5 that wasn't backward compatible. And that, you know, it really did sort of set back our growth a bit as we had, you know, two competing versions of Concrete 5 kind of at the same time. And we're sort of, you know, just a year or two, we're emerging from that. But to get back to your original question, it was those types of situations that while they were painful, they kind of reignite your love for the software product that you've worked on for a long time because you can work on this thing and keep it fresh and see how it's going to be, how you've once again created something that is going to be, you know, solid for the next decade as it was for the, you know, first 10 years. Oh, that's really interesting because obviously Drupal's been through been through a similar process several times. WordPress is about to go through a similar one with Gutenberg. You feel as if it's almost given you a, a second wind? I do, actually, because, you know, you've got, you, you have this thing where you, you kind of have to go through, it's like a, a rebirth or something along those lines, just because, you know, you definitely can't do it too many times because you don't want to... We, we built up enough goodwill with our community that I think they trusted us. Most people trusted us when we said, listen, we want to, we want to take this thing that we love and, and make it better. But the only way we can really do that is if we, 
you know, do these painful platform changes this time. And so hopefully you trust us to not, you know, make your lives miserable, you know, with, with doing this, you know, more than is absolutely necessary. But yeah, what you get out of that is you get this platform that is, uh, you know, built on a modern framework that, you know, is, is embraces the sort of standards that programmers who are coming to PHP now are really familiar with and comfortable with. And they look at your software and they, it makes sense to them and, and looks elegant rather than looking sort of more, more uh, long in the tooth. And, and by doing so, it just, I think it's freed us up to really be excited about where we now have the freedom to go. Huh, that's, it's interesting to hear you talk about the trade-offs because you hear, you hear some other platforms talk about how these major updates are going to be so successful. I think I've heard Matt Mullenweg talk with WordPress about Gutenberg being the thing that will take it from 28 or 29% of the web to 50. And I think certainly Dries was doing a big sales pitch for Drupal 8, that Drupal 8 would be as successful as Drupal 7. It would just take off like a rocket. And what I'm hearing from you is that it's more of a, a trade-off to be a little more realistic that on the one hand, you probably will take a hit in terms of project momentum, in terms of project growth. It may take a couple of years to, to get back up to speed again. Yeah, I, I definitely believe that. And I, I would not be, you know, it was definitely not without challenges. And it's, we're lucky that we were able to kind of weather that period. But yeah, you know, you, it's, there's no getting around it. If you take something that people really like at the time, and then you release something new that, you know, works differently, requires new knowledge, and you basically tell your current active developers on this, hey, you know, all that stuff you knew before, it's mostly the same, but you have to learn some new things. And they're, you know, they've got jobs, they're using your software to get work done, and now you're, you're making more work for them to do. You can't do that very often. And I don't, and we don't want to do that very often, just because you fragment your audience and you hurt things. But at the same time, you can't prize backward compatibility above all else. You really do have to make, you have to pick and choose the times when it's right to make these things. And honestly, I think we kind of just feel it out in terms of our own development and the where the PHP community is going, where web development at large is going. There are certain times when these platform shifts happen, and I think you can just sort of feel it. And so I wouldn't be presumptuous to say that, you know, by doing Concrete 5 version 9 later this year or early next year, we're going to, you know, triple our market share, although I hope that that happens and I, you know, it wouldn't tremendously surprise me. I don't think you can just say, I'm going to release new backward incompatible versions and, and keep new versions of Concrete 5 alive while we still actively maintain old versions without realizing that that's going to confuse your community. And so you have to really be judicious about about when you choose to do that. But like you say, when you do that, you kind of, you'll bring on, you will upset some people and you'll probably lose developers who stick with your old stuff and may just, you know, jump ship to work on something else or, you know, stick with your old stuff and are totally fine using it. But I think by keeping your software fresh, you're going to get new developers over time and they're going to be developers that you really want to to have because they're going to be well-versed in where the web is and the web is like mature so fast that i mean i used to be as part of a full service web agency back in the 2000s it was our job to make sites that were cutting edge 
and we were good at it. But now that we do a lot of work for bigger companies and also work on the core, we put our heads down and we do development on the core for a year or, or more. And then we look up and like suddenly when it's time for me to sort of keep educated about the state of the web, I look into stuff and, and find like, wow, I have no idea what you know, half of these new web technologies are. So you, you really have to force yourself to stay fresh in the web. And I think you know, keeping your software fresh helps you keep your community fresh. You know what? I think we missed out an important piece. I just heard you talking about uh, Concrete 5 version 9 coming up this year. So we had the versioning system, which went 5.5.5.5.5 for <laughs> quite some time. Concrete 5 is now Concrete 5 version 8 at the moment. That is, is that the, correct. That's the big major rewrite. This is where things get even more confusing. You are correct. They were 5 point whatever for many years. 5.6 was our last sort of what we call legacy Concrete 5 version. And it was very solid and, and we're still super proud of it. But it was 5.7 where we did our major backward incompatible rewrite that updated the interface and did and made it and added support for PHP's namespacing, which is what really uh, caused uh, all of the add-ons to break and things like that. And so we went from 5.6 to 5.7, and that was our major version change. And so in retrospect, that was a huge mistake. Not the incompatibility or the actual code, but the fact that we did not take that time to officially call it Concrete 5 version 7. So in retrospect, that was dumb. <laughs> and so we realized that. And so we've gone from 5.7 to version 8, even though 5.7 and 8 are, you know, you can upgrade from 5.7 to version 8. And that's not the incompatible version. <laughs> well, you a big uh, Mac fan by the sounds of it? Yeah, I am. I have been a Mac fan for longer than Concrete 5, or for longer than Concrete's been a thing. Did you ever consider it calling it uh, Concrete 5 version X? <laughs> you know, we, we actually, you know, so we have this version 9 coming up at some point. Um, not sure when exactly, um, either this year or early next. We toyed with the idea of eschewing version numbers entirely and started and calling it, you know, kind of like how and Ubuntu has its its version names and OS uh, Mac OS has its like California places now where it had the the cats for many years like Snow Leopard and, and <laughs> yeah. Lion and stuff. Uh, we haven't gotten there yet. I think I'm not really sure if we're gonna if we're gonna do that in the future. But uh, I, I don't know. It'd be kind of fun to to pick out some completely new way to refer to to your software releases oh yeah name it after places around portland yeah actually or... you know name it after voodoo donuts flavors <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i went over there for DrupalCon a while ago and um uh, voodoo donuts is the the super famous donut shop that's all over downtown portland and they have these crazy flavors and that is correct uh, crazy designs yeah they've been around for i think they've been around for about 18 19 years i think it was 2000 when they came out i might be wrong about that but yeah they first gained infamy i mean they're as donuts they're pretty good they are also just donuts which is why it's funny but you know they gained infamy for being having these crazy flavors as you say like some of the more innocuous ones are like you know they, they're like a cereal donut so there's like fruit loops on top of them or whatever which is hardly the hardly the craziest thing but i do remember early on they gained infamy because they i don't remember what the name of the donut was but they actually put nyquil in it as it's, <laughs> which is obviously completely illegal and they were uh they had to stop doing that pretty quickly but uh yeah they started out that way with all these funky flavors and one location that was kind of very much a punk rock aesthetic and now they're you know in portland 
and LA elsewhere. So, uh, yeah. Well, that kind of takes us full circle to the beginning of the podcast and talking about Portland. Um, so let me wrap up with a final question for you. What can we expect from Concrete 5 over the next year? Yeah, so as I mentioned, we are working on version 9. That is going to be backward compatible, just like before. It's going to probably bump up the PHP requirements a bit, you know, just to keep pace with how fast PHP is being developed. The biggest addition to it is we are going to roll our multi-site tools into the core. So we have developed these as an add-on that's private currently because that we haven't released publicly. And we've decided that it would be useful and beneficial to put those into the core. And so what that means is you'll be able to, you have a single Concrete 5 installation on a web server, but you can point multiple domains to it and uh, you'll be able to run multiple sites from there all through the same same single Concrete 5 installation. There have been some add-ons that have done this over the years, including one that we have charged money for. Now it'll be built into the core. It'll work um, a bit more gracefully than some of the add-ons, and uh, we're pretty excited about that. In addition to that, we're going to be doing a additional user experience testing on the core, so with an actual user experience person that we're very excited to have on staff at Portland Labs. And finally, the big product from Portland Labs that we are currently working on is something we're calling Liberta. And it's uh, a layer that it's software uh, as a service that sits a layer above Concrete 5 that will manage uh, sort of it's a DevOps tool and uh, and management tool for multiple Concrete 5 installations that we're super excited about. And uh, we will probably announce more of those details in the coming months. Well, congrats. And where can people keep in touch with you and follow what's going on with Concrete 5? Sure. You can definitely check out Concrete5.org. If you are a developer, you can head into Concrete5.org and there will be, I believe in the download page, there's a link over to Concrete 5 on GitHub. We are in active development on GitHub. We love pull requests. You know, you can report bugs on Concrete5.org. There's an active system of forums on there that people answer questions on and chat on. And then finally, Concrete5.org has a link to us on Slack. We are Our Slack community is very active. It is too active for me. I am on it and I, you can find me on there and you can feel free to ask me questions, bug me. I am notorious about kind of popping in and popping out of Slack because the amount of activity on it is a little too much for my, uh, <laughs> for my, for me to keep up with. But, uh, there's tons of people helping people on there and, uh, we'd love to add to it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. Oh, thank you, Steve. This has been awesome, and I really uh, appreciate getting the opportunity. Great. All the best with Concrete 5 version 9. Thank you. <laughs>